Amen. If you're standing at home, you can be seated. Uh, so, which is, that's normally what I say when I'm, I'm doing a, uh, a live service. Uh, but uh, so glad that you're here with us this morning. Thanks for being a part of it. Uh, just a few things. Uh, first of all, this is the first time that we've ever done a regular service as a live stream. Uh, we just have stayed away from that because we wholeheartedly believe in the idea of the church gathering together and that community, like actual community, not uh, not kind of social media community, but actual uh, person-to-person uh, contact is incredibly important. But uh, we're seeing this as a, a major opportunity uh, just to be able to broadcast to the world. And hopefully we'll get a show on TBN here shortly. Uh, we'll get the gold thrones and the whole thing. It'll be amazing. I'll be the new Jim Baker. Um, but uh, we just found out, I think it was this last week on, on Thursday morning, we were having an Easter and Good Friday uh, meeting. I hadn't heard yet that the governor had banned all gatherings over 250. And uh, we were sitting there in a meeting, and all of a sudden, uh, the meeting went from Easter and Good Friday to uh, what's next, how do we do uh, live stream church. And we happened to be sitting there uh, with one of our guys, uh, Ryan Brady, and uh, we were talking about the service. He was there for set design, but um, all of a sudden we realized that I, I, I said to Ryan, I said, Ryan, you do this type of stuff all the time. And he said, that's right. And I said, well, what are we even talking about here? Why don't you help us figure this out? So a big shout out to him and thank you for uh, helping uh, put this together. Um, uh, but the elders got together, we met and just felt like this was a no brainer. We want to we wanna be uh, helpful to our city want to be helpful to people uh, all around us, especially the elderly. Um, we want to serve our city, and I, I know this is being talked about a lot, but we want to be a good neighbor. And so that's, that's what we're doing here. Uh, there's a lot of fear, a lot of panic, a lot of anxiety, a lot of frustration and anger, perhaps. I mean, I think there's two sides to this. There's the people who are in deep fear um, and who think that canceling church and canceling all these things was the right thing. And then there's people who are kind of indifferent to this, who have frustration and anger. And I would just say that both of those responses in some way can be reconciled in uh, faith in God. Um, we want to portray as Christians um, the, the reality that we believe that God is ultimately and finally in control, uh, that he has immense, uh, he has the most strength ever. He is sovereign. Uh, this was not a surprise to him. Um, he did not wake up and go, oh no, there's a, a disease plaguing uh, the world. He knew that this was going to take place. Of course, that brings up other conversations, but, uh, but right now we, we just hope in God. We're hoping in him. But what I would say is this, is that, um, just a couple things. Uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 3 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so we, what we can do right now during this time is we can begin to think to ourselves like this is a time to persevere. This is a time to realize that even though we're in the midst of, of suffering, it sounds like it, it, it very possibly could get worse. But we can look to God and we can say, hey, this is, we, we get to persevere through this and we get to grow. We get to grow in endurance. Uh, we get to grow in character. We get to grow in hope. And so this is an, an incredible opportunity on, on some level, even though we want to recognize how horrible this is. Um, 
through all the people that have been lost already and through the sickness that is, it seems like is coming over our nation today. And so we, we don't want to take that lightly, but we also want to say uh, that we go into this with an incredible hope. And then lastly, I would just say this, that in Acts chapter 8, it talks about uh, the persecution that came over the church. The church was kind of holed up in Jerusalem, and they were having a, a great time. They had, they had great church services. Lots of people were there. And then persecution came, and as a result, all those people scattered throughout the region, everywhere. They went everywhere. But you know what they took with them? They took Jesus with them. They took the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And so while you may be sitting in your home uh, with your family, by yourself, um, but right now you're, you're, you're being the church in your home. And I don't know what God is going to do with that, but I'm excited about what the possibilities are for you as you get to share hope with other people that this world is not all that there is. That, th- that our finances are not the end all. Our health is not everything that there is to this world. And I think on some level, America has gotten so comfortable. Our world has gotten comfortable with uh, the fact that things just come easily for us at this point on some level. We can go to the store anytime we, we want. We have our health about us. We, uh, the, the markets have been up and things like that. And so what we know right now is we know that um, even in this, this time where we, we're losing some of those things, we can trust in God and we get to lose the things that are taking the place of God right now in our life. So I want to invite you to that, to dig deeper into who Jesus is in your life. Uh, just before I get started here, I just want to say we're going to be doing communion at, communion at the end. So get some bread, get some, some wine or some juice, uh, that kind of thing. Don't start drinking that yet until the end of the service, okay? Just hold off on the mimosas and, and stuff like that. But um, in any case, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6. We're going to continue on. There's got to be some sense of normalcy here. So if you're joining us for the first time, let me just give you a little bit of a recap here. I think it's going to tie in with where we are as, as a church and as a people group uh, in America today. I think it's going to tie in there. Um, but we're, we're in the book of Luke, and the book of Luke is basically uh, Luke's story about Jesus, it's, it's called the Gospel of Luke. And basically, the Gospel of Luke is a story about Jesus. And so Luke is telling us about who Jesus is, and he's kind of laying out all of these various stories and, and so forth. In Luke chapter 6, he begins to go into a sermon that Jesus gave. It may have been the Sermon on the Mount, or it might have been called the Sermon on the Plain. It doesn't really matter. It's a sermon that Jesus gave. And so we've been walking through that as a church. So if you're joining us for the first time, you came at a perfect time. And the reason is, is because of this. This is really, it's talking about what it looks like to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 6. We're going to pick it up in verse 27. And so let me read that for you here as we get going. Jesus says this, he says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those 
who love you. What benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Now, this... This, uh, this sermon is really kind of a bombshell. It's really kind of a big deal because it takes this, uh, this idea of kind of loving, loving your neighbor as yourself, the way that uh, God's people Israel would know it. It's loving your neighbor. It's loving someone who's a part of Israel. And it's loving, you know, literally like it might be your brother or somebody who's related to you, somebody who's on the same team kind of a deal. But Jesus kind of amps this up a little bit and, and not just a little bit, but a lot. He goes well beyond. He says, it's not just that I want you to love your neighbor. I want you to love your enemy. Now, the question we all have to ask every time we're talking about love is, what is love? What is love? Don't think about that song right now, baby, don't hurt me. Don't, don't think about that. But we, we want to ask, what is love? Well, I, I got a quick quote for you here uh, from Leon Morris. He says, there were several words for love in the Greek. Jesus was not asking for storge, which is natural affection, nor for eros, which is romantic love, nor for philia, the love of friendship. He was speaking of agape, which means love even of the unlovely, love which is not drawn out by merit in the beloved, but, by, by, but which proceeds from the fact that the lover chooses to be a loving person. Jesus is calling us not to, not to uh, be in love with someone, uh, not to feel like we want to be loving to this person or anything like that. Jesus is saying, I want you to act loving. I want you to be loving. I want you to make a conscious choice to love people, and not just any people, but people who specifically are your enemies, which is crazy. And I believe it's the exact antithesis of our world today. Now, uh, you may be like me a little bit, but I love revenge. I love to get back at people. Uh, I, in my mind, I don't often do this uh, today as an adult, but as a kid, I really loved revenge. One time, me and my, my older brother, Dave, we went to Denny's, and uh, I had just gotten a bank account, and so I didn't have the debit card, and I didn't have cash on me. All I had was those checks that didn't have your name or phone number on there, and so we go to the Denny's. We eat, di- we eat lunch, or uh, actually breakfast, and we're sitting there, and uh, all of a sudden, I realize, oh, crud, I don't have any cash. All I have is these checks, and so I talk to the waitress, and I say, hey, uh, this is all I've got right now. Can I just write you a check? She said, no, I'm sorry. We don't take checks. So she goes and tells the manager. Manager comes back and says, no, you have to give me cash. And so me and Dave are like, hey, we don't have any cash. So uh, <laughs> uh, we have no cash. And so we need 
uh, to leave you a check, and then we'll go get you cash. And the guy says, no, you have to pay for this right now. It makes this giant scene, this huge, huge scene. So I finally say, listen, I'll give you my watch. I'll give you my, uh, I'll give you my license, whatever it is. I'm going to go get cash and bring it back to you. The guy was inconsolable, made a giant scene. We felt like morons. And so we go to the bank, and we tell the bank teller about this. And the bank teller, I think she gave us the idea, but she said, listen, you should take the entire bill. We left, le- left the restaurant. We should go to the, go to the bank. She says, I think you should take the entire bill in pennies. And she says, and here's a money bag for you too. So she gives us this money bag. We take every one of those, I think it's like $20 in pennies. Take every one of those things apart, empty them out in this bag. And then we go to Denny's and we ask for the manager and he comes up to the desk. And right when he's, he's like here and we're like here, when he's just that close to the desk, we take the bag of pennies and just dump them on the, uh, the desk there. And he got so mad, he was like, Ugh! he was about to push them off. And I stood back and said, go ahead, dude. <laughs> we paid you. <laughs> we paid you. It was such sweet revenge. It was such amazing revenge. And then I was thinking about this as I'm preparing for the sermon. I'm thinking about, like, I, a lot of my stories are about revenge. Like the time that a guy threw a water balloon at my truck and broke my windshield wiper. It was a 1972 Ford pickup that was totaled. The right-hand side was, uh, you know, all, all thrashed and messed up. Somebody threw a water balloon at me, broke my windshield wiper. I chased him down, got in front of him, uh, stopped my truck. He ran into me. I pulled forward about 10 feet, backed up in reverse and just dukes a hazard into him. Just like, bam, you know? And uh, don't tell anybody about that. Like, I don't know if the statute of limitations has run out on that uh, whole thing. <laughs> We're hoping not. Somebody's watching this right now going, that's the guy. So if I'm behind bars next week, we can still do live stream. We can still do it. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll be right here. But it was like sweet revenge. It was such amazing revenge. And then later on in life, I, uh, uh, someone close to me was brutally uh, beaten up. And uh, I heard about it. I got my 357, I loaded it, I got in my truck, and I went looking for the person that he described. And I went driving through a neighborhood, and I was going to shoot somebody if I saw somebody who matched that description. And as I'm driving around, I woke up to the reality of revenge is not going to satisfy me. Because ultimately, I'm going to end up in jail if I get what I want. Our, our culture is so much about revenge. The movies that we watch are about revenge. Uh, the, the movies that I, I watch are about revenge, because obviously I have a problem. The movies that I watch are about revenge. Uh, I, I, you know, I've told you guys before, I love Taken and The Equalizer. I mean, pretty, it's so much about Denzel Washington and all of those types of, of movies. I just, I love them. But our world has been polarized by, by this idea of not loving your enemies, but hating your enemies. You hear it in the political speeches uh, from both sides of the aisle, by the way. I'm not ripping on anyone by themselves. I'm ripping on everybody, both sides of the political spectrum. It's polarized. It's incredibly polarized. Jesus has something that's completely different, completely other, completely opposite to what you might think it should be. And so this morning, I want to dig into that with you. And uh, see what Jesus has to say. But the first thing that I really want to tell you about this is that this is not a list of how to get to God. This is a list of, of, 
of what it looks like once God has gotten to you of what your life should look like. And it overstates some things. It overstates some things. And so we'll get into that as we go. So Jesus says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. He says, uh, love your enemies. And he says to do that in these three different ways. He says, do good. He says, bless them. And he says to pray for them. He says, I don't just want you to say that you love your enemy. I don't just want you to say that you, uh, that you care about them. I want you to go beyond that. And I want there to be tangible actions of love that go towards your enemy. So put that into context today of what's happening. There's going to be many, many people around us that are going to sick. Let, be, get sick. Let's just accept that fact. Let's look at it. In, in the context of the sovereignty of God. And let's talk about the reality that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are to love people. And loving them means acting on that. It's more than just us, us saying, like, I love our community. It is saying, I love them. And when I say that I love them, it's ma- it means I've made a conscious choice to not just say that I love, but to act on that love. And to go and be a blessing to them. To go and be a blessing to them and to pray for them. It means keeping them in, in our thoughts and prayers. It might mean this. It might mean I'm going to put myself at personal risk in order to go serve people. This is what the church has done for ages and ages. Rodney Stark wrote a great book called The Rise of Christianity where he tells some amazing stories in there of how Christians, instead of uh, going out to the, the, the fringes of the city or out into the country so that they don't get sick, they st- Christians stayed in the city, they put themselves at risk, and they cared for the poor and the sick, even at the cost of their own lives. Christians have done this for ages. What does it look like to love people who are not like you? What does it look like to love people who are your enemies? Well, it says that you would do good to them who hate you. You would bless those who curse you. You would pray for those who abuse you. What if your enemy is the person who sleeps next to you every night? What if your enemy is your spouse? How many times have I heard this over and over again, that basically these two people have been living apart and they just sleep in the same bed and they are just an enemy to one another. Jesus says that he wants us to not just say, yeah, I love my wife or I love my my spouse. Jesus wants us to actually act on that. He says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. He wants us to act on that love. And Jesus gives us an example of this. In Luke 23, verse 34, it says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When is Jesus saying that? He's saying that while he's hanging on the cross. He is praying for the people who are literally killing him, who are crucifying him. This is what Jesus is inviting us into. So those, those three things. Now we go into some case studies of loving jerks, loving people who are not nice sometimes. And so verse 29 says this, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. 
Now, every time I read that, I kind of think of those movies where uh, there's a little guy and he punches a big guy and the big guy, uh, you know, kind of turns the other cheek and then the, the little guy punches him again and then the big guy just smashes the little guy. And I've just kind of always thought I'd love to be that big guy who can take a punch and be like, oh yeah, hit me again, you know, that, that kind of thing. But I don't think that that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying, hey, be a tough guy and, and then you'll be like me. No, Jesus is saying, I want you to risk love at the cost of being wounded again. I want you to risk loving again at the cost of being wounded again. Now, Jesus overstates things all the time. Just like when he said, you know, if your right eye causes you to sin, you should pluck it out. Is Jesus advocating self-mutilation? No. Jesus is saying, I want you to take extreme measures to remove things out of your life that are causing you to sin. Jesus overstates his case oftentimes. And Jesus is, again, overstating his case here. He is saying this kind of love is a love that is open to being wounded. Daryl Bach a commentator on this, or on this passage says, love is available, vulnerable, and subject to repeated abuse. This is what love is. Jesus is saying that if you're going to love the way that I want you to love, then you are going to be open to some sort of mistreatment, which seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? seems kind of crazy in this world. It really seems crazy. Here's, here's the problem. The idea of abuse right now, is a, it's a big subject. When I read that, I think some of you probably were like, uh, I should not stay in a, in a relationship where I'm being abused. And I would just say, yeah, I mean, we should talk about that. I'd love to, to talk to you about that situation. But here's what my counselor, my wife and I go to counseling, and uh, my counselor, his name is, is Rich Plass, and the guy is stinking amazing. He's like Yoda smart, like super. He might even kind of look like Yoda a little bit. I mean, it's it, like it, it, when, I, when you talk to this guy, it's like you just almost want to start crying as soon as you start to talk. And you're just like, man, Rich, I love you so much. And this is what Rich said. Rich, I, I asked him about this passage. I said, Rich, I'm about to give this, pa- I'm about to preach this passage, and I don't want people to think that in order to follow Jesus, that they just need to endure abuse that they should not be enduring. And this is what Rich said to me. He said, loving people does not mean acquiescing to their pathology. Some big words in there. Uh, Loving people does not mean acquiescing to their pathology. Loving people doesn't mean submitting to their abuse. If someone's hitting you, you should call the police. If you're being abused on, on, on any level, you should call the police. The best place for them to experience the love of Jesus is behind bars at that point. And you should send them there, and I'll help you. So, that, so we're not saying submit to that kind of abuse in that respect. What we're saying is, is that on some level, there's a level at which you have to be open to being mistreated by your spouse. On some level, you have to be open to being mistreated by somebody in the community. On some level, you have to be open to being mistreated by someone who is your enemy. It's entering into relationship with people at the risk of being wounded again. And then he says this, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic 
either. Now, the word take there could also be ask. Uh, one commentator says it, it, it could be take or ask. So it, it, it could be that someone's taking away your cloak, as, as in they're stealing it from you, but it could also be that they're asking for your cloak. Somebody who's coming to you and they're asking for something from you. Again, Jesus' case is overstated because if someone kept asking for, hey, I'd like your, you know, your overshirt. Hey, I'd like your undershirt. I'd like your, your belt. I mean, this, that, that's going to come to an end shortly. Like you're not going to have anything less and, and, and then you're going to be a nudist. And so that, that's not what Jesus is asking you to do. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, be willing to be taken advantage of. Take your stuff and just go, you know what? It's not my stuff. It's Jesus' stuff. It's the stuff that God gave me. It's the stuff. Jesus wants us to be so open with the things that we have, so disconnected on some level from those things that we say, you know what? I want to help someone else out. And men and women during this time, right here and right now, as we're going through this crisis, people are losing their jobs. You may have lost your job. People are, 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 are losing their minds. People are, uh, people are not going to be able to make rent. They're not going to be able to feed themselves, perhaps. This isn't to stir up fear. This is the reality. Hey, we're believers here. We have hope in God. We don't have hope in our stuff. And so that means that we get to suffer well with the people that are around us, and we get to be open with our tunic. And we get to say, hey, I got an extra one. When someone asks us, we get to offer that to them. And so then he says in verse 30, give to everyone who begs or asks to borrow from you. That, again, the word beg there, it could also be ask. So it's saying, I want you to give to people. I want you to give to people who are asking to borrow from you. Listen, I don't know how else to say this, but there's going to be people around us that are going to need to borrow some money. They're going to need to borrow some food. They are going to need to borrow some toilet paper. They are going to need to borrow all kinds of things. Who knows? But Jesus says that love looks like this in that you are open with your stuff, that you would give generously, that you'd be willing to lend. Tim Keller says, he says, Jesus wants promiscuous generosity. Promiscuous generosity. He wants radical generosity in our lives. Think about how high this standard is. I don't want you to just say that you love your neighbor. I want you to love the very person who hates you, who hurts you, who strikes you. This may be someone who is a Republican and really likes Trump. It may be someone who's just a flaming liberal who just loves them some Bernie Sanders. It may be anybody there. Can you think about how this crisis might be bringing us together? That in the midst of how desperate this situation is getting, can you think about how amazing it is that we're going to be in such a desperate, common fight that we're going to need to love people in a new way? We're going to need to love people that we've never felt like loving before. God is giving us an opportunity to do that. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Basically the same thing. Take away could be ask for. I mean, give without expecting them in return is what he's going to say even further down here. Verse 31, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. This is the golden rule. 
the golden rule essentially says, treat others how you want to be treated. Now, a lot of times, uh, especially in my home, I treat my wife sometimes the way that I want to be treated. And she doesn't appreciate that because I want to be treated in a different way than she wants to be treated. And so it's not saying, hey, treat everybody the way that you think they should be treated. It is saying this, and this is from Daryl Bach again. In effect, one may fairly paraphrase the rule this way. As you wish to be treated with sensitivity to your preferences, so treat others with sensitivity to their preferences. So all of us guys, all of us men who are not sensitive to the needs of our wives, which is very common. Some of you guys are, I I don't know how you got that. I don't know how you're so perfect, but uh, some of you can do that. I, on the other hand, uh, have, I I have to grow in this. My wife is teaching me on a regular basis on how to look out for her. But it's more than that. It's not just about your marriage. It's about uh, how do, would we want to be treated in Uh, a situation where we get something wrong at work. If I get something wrong at work and I cost somebody money, I cost my employer money or something, something like that. The the thing that I want is I'm asking for mercy. I I really want mercy. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose, um, you know, hours. I don't want to lose the sale, that kind of thing. I want mercy. And in the same respect, what, what we'd say is this, is that when somebody who's underneath you as an employee screws something up, when somebody who, they're really an enemy perhaps on some level because it's, it's like, man, it feels like you're costing me more money than you're making me. I'm not even sure why I hired you kind of a deal. Jesus is saying like, hey, I, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to begin to train them better and to show them mercy. And so, we keep moving on. And by, and by the way, that is an unconditional statement. It's not dependent upon how they treat you. It's an unconditional statement. Let me, let me say one more thing about that. Do you have neighbors around you that, uh, that have, you know, I, I don't know, driven across the edge of your lawn? That play their music really loud? That... Um, park their cars on their lawn, that uh, maybe you're parking your car on your lawn, maybe you should stop that, but, uh, but I mean, do you, have, do, you have, do you have a neighbor that just kind of, you don't say hi anymore because you've had words, you've had words, I know what that's like, but maybe what this is about, maybe this is about you kind of understanding something, that this is not a conditional statement, it's not condi- conditional on how your neighbor has treated you. It's not conditional on how your neighbor has uh, been nice to you uh, or anything like that. Whether they are a good neighbor or not has everything to do with the reality that Jesus is king and that you as a believer in Jesus Christ live as though his kingdom has come and you live under his rule and his reign. And that means that we treat people with love and respect. We bless them and we pray for them even when... They are cursing us, even when they're hurting us at times. He says in verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Let me read that again. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. 
And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Let me read the next one, verse 34. They're all very similar. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Now, I just want to show you something here real quick. It says, what benefit is that to you? It says, what benefit is that to you again? And then it says, what credit is that to you? All three of those instances are the same word. The word benefit and the word credit are all charis. Charis, which is grace. And so it's saying this. It's saying, what grace is that to you? What, if, if you're only loving people who love you, then there, there's no way, there, there's no favor, there's no grace that, that, that brings you before God. There's, there's nothing about that that is worthy of your relationship with God if you're only loving people who love you. Now think about that for a second. The polarization of our country, how we've gotten further and further and further into our political camps and our viewpoints. And there's these enclaves of people who have these views or those views or, or what have you. And we get further and further apart. And the problem is this, is because we only love those who love us. I really only love the people that really love me. I try to avoid the people that don't love me. And Jesus says this, for even sinners love those who love them. Now, why is he saying sinners? It's not because everybody who's a Christian is not a sinner, but he's basically saying this is standard behavior for our world. This is the standard. This is how people act. This is how they respond. This is people in general. This is how we respond. Now, I just want you to ask yourself, I want you to look inside of yourself, I want you to think for a moment, do you really love people? And I don't mean just say, yeah, I love that person. But I'm talking about, do you really love people who don't love you? Meaning, have you done good to them? Have you blessed them? Have you prayed for that person? Jesus says, if you love those who love you, there's no benefit in that. That's not what God is asking you to do. It's way more than that. That's just what our world does, and you're just acting like them. If you're a part of the kingdom of God then what it looks like is this, is that you would love people who don't love you. And so, what is he talking about here? He's saying, when you love people in order to be loved, you're loving with an agenda. When you love people in order to be loved, you're loving with an agenda. It's, it's saying, as long as I give this person love, uh, th- then they should give me love back. Or as long as they are lovely to me, then I will continue to love them. It's loving with an agenda. Now, how, how many people have a marriage that's based on that? As long as he loves me and as long as he treats me right... As long as he's doing what I want him to do, you're loving with an agenda. And that's not love. As long as you're saying, as long as my wife provides for me in all the ways that I want, as long as my spouse 
does the, the things, keeps the house clean, whatever it is that you're, whatever that list is for you, you're loving with an agenda. As long as your relationships are based on love for love, you're loving with an agenda. As long as you love your employer with an agenda, it's, it's not love. It's not love. You know what it is? It's tyranny. Your love is actually not love. It's tyranny against the person that you sleep next to. It's tyranny against your roommate. It's tyranny against your, uh, your workmate. It's tyranny against your classmate. It's tyranny against the people in the church around you. It is tyranny against your neighbor. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? What grace is that to you? You're just showing that you don't have grace. You're just showing that you're a tyrant. Are you a tyrant to live with? Are you a tyrant? A lot of us are. We can be. Your tyranny is used to control So your marriage is a means of control. The relationships with your friends are a means to control. The relationship with your workmates is is control. You're a tyrant. You don't really love. You're not really doing good. You're just loving with an agenda. You're just doing good to others so that they will do good to you. Again, in verse 34, he says, If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. What's he saying? He's saying, yeah, you lent to somebody who was in need. But you're, you're only lending when you know that the other person will one day return the favor. That's the reason why you lent them money. And so you're, you're lending in order to get something back. Now, it's, it's not just in the context of lending somebody who's broke or something like that. But somehow you used money in such a way that says, I know that this is going to be a great kickback for me. Jesus is saying, I want you to lend with no strings attached. Think about the freedom that that brings. Think about the release of control in the relationship that you have with this person in business, with this friend, with, with this family member, who, whoever it is. Like, lend with no strings attached to say, like, I'm, I'm going to give. Instead of saying, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give. I'm going to lend just out of the kindness of my heart not to get something back. And so... This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. He repeats all this again and he says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Now, what was that promise there? You're going to be rewarded. If you do all these things, then you're going to be a son of the Most High. If you do all these things, then you get salvation. Now, some of you, I hope that you don't turn off... uh, the uh, live stream right now. I hope that you keep listening for just a minute. There'll be a raffle at the end for some toilet paper, so just, just st- stick with me. Uh, 
I want, you, I want you to listen. I want you to pay attention because of this. Because this is not saying, hey, if you do this, then you will get that. Because that would be to contradict basically everything that Jesus just said. It's, 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 it's loving with an agenda. If I love this person, my agenda is that I'm going to receive something. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He, he's saying this, that the reward is this. The reward is that you're going to prove and you're going to show, you're going to rightly show. You're rewarded for rightly displaying the character of God, your Father, in your behavior. The reward is this, in knowing that, that you are showing, that you are exemplifying who Dad is. It's showing who He actually is. Hey, did you know this, that you were created in the image of God? And that when we sin, when we lie, when we love with an agenda... When we, when we land with an agenda, when we, when, we, when we say that we love, but we're not really loving because we never really bless or pray for those people, did you know what that is? It's, it's going against who God is. That's what sin is. Sin is distorting the image of God in us. Jesus is saying, if you want to image God, your Father, if you want to image me, Jesus says, then what has to happen in your life is that you've got to love your enemies, you've got to do good, you've got to lend, expecting nothing in return, and then you're going to show that you really are a son, a child of the Most High. It's really becoming who you are. See, Christians don't do things to get God. They get God in order to do things. They get God in order to do things. You cannot get to God by being more loving. You can listen to this whole sermon, and if that's what you take from it, you've lost. You've lost it. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is you get God in order to do things. But I I have to tell you, there's some really bad news here. And that is, you will never do it. Everything that I just told you, everything that I just said, everything that I just preached to you is just hogwash. And the reason is this, is because you can't do it. You literally cannot love people without having some kind of agenda in and of yourself. It's impossible to love people without having some kind of agenda. It is absolutely impossible. Spurgeon says this, evil for good is devil-like. Evil for evil is beast-like. Good for good is man-like. Good for evil is God-like. Everything that I just stated to you is godlike. Everything that I just stated to you is that like if you're going to act in this way, then that means that there would be some level of perfection in your life. There'd be some level of of like like you'd be Jesus at this point. And the truth is that's impossible to pull off in and of yourself. You can't do it. You can't make it happen. That verse goes on to say something that I think gives us a hint as to what's going on here. It says, For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So let's think about this for a second. You're going to be like your father, the Most High. Uh, You're going to be sons of the Most High. I I would say that. And, And that Most High, that's God. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. When was the Most High kind to the ungrateful and the evil? 
You remember this verse? That, but God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The whole, the whole idea of that I am a sinner. That I'm just one of these people of this world. And the truth is, is that I treat my wife that way. I treat my spouse that way. I treat my friends that way. And I got the broken relationships to prove it. And my, my, my life is in tatters on, on some level. And what God does for us is that he demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, while I'm continually sinning against God, I don't love people the way that I should love people. I don't even love God the way that I should love God. I've done nothing that he thinks is acceptable. I've, I've acted in no way that I should but he demonstrates his love for us in that while I'm still sinning against him, he dies for me. See, Jesus is the one who is, un, who is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Jesus is the one who has been kind to me, the ungrateful. I'm the one that's been ungrateful. I look at all the things that I've done with my life. I look at the money that I've made, the family that I've raised, the house that I built. I look at the friends that I have, the books that I've read, whatever, whatever it is, my smarts, which there are a few of. I, I look at all of the things that I have, and, and I say that somehow I have done this. I have made this happen in, in my life. But do you know what, what I'm doing in that moment? I'm being ungrateful to the king. I'm being ungrateful to this God. I'm ungrateful for him for having created me, given me everything that I have. I'm ungrateful for, uh, to him for the air that I breathe. The fact that he sustains my life each night as I go to sleep and somehow my body keeps breathing. I don't have to remember that. He sustains me each night. I'm, I am the ungrateful. I am the evil and Jesus says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. How is Jesus merciful? Jesus loved you all the way to the cross. Jesus loved you to the end. While you were ungrateful, while you were evil, and while you persist in evil. Jesus loves his enemies. Jesus did good to you. Jesus lent to you. Jesus lended something to you. Jesus lends to you and in through his cross. He lends to you your righteousness. Think back over your life. The, the promiscuity. The cheating other people out of money. The ingratitude to God. Think about the pride, the selfishness, the anger. The abuse that, you've, that you have caused other people. Think about that for a moment. He is merciful to you. And in his mercy, through his cross, he takes away what's in your heart, that's in your life, your stuff, and he makes it his own. And he gives you his perfection. 
That's how you have relationship with God. It is through him dying on the cross that he gives you his righteousness. Don't you see? He gives you his righteousness. He gives you life. And he does not expect it back. Give without any expectation that you'd receive it back. See, Christianity is not about giving in order to get God. It's about God giving so that we can get Him. So I wonder this morning how you feel about that. I think there's a possibility that there's people watching right now that don't normally go to church. Somebody, somebody posted this video on their Facebook or, or somewhere. They sent you the link in, in some way. Have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you ever trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior to pay for your sins? Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. That is an offer to you. You can have new life today. And men and women, those of us who have received Jesus Christ as Savior, Jesus has given us the opportunity to act like Him, to be empowered by His Spirit to act in these ways. We won't do that perfectly. It's, it's not going to happen. We're not Jesus. But he gives us his spirit and he empowers us to love the neighbor that we've always had a problem with. To go knock on their door and check on them and say, hey, are you sick? Are you, are, are, are you in quarantine right now? Can I go to the store for you? How can I help you? Can I bring you a meal tomorrow? Jesus empowers us to love people. There are so many ways that we could love people. And right now, Christians, we will not love people. We will not be the church in this city if we don't get this issue dealt with. And that is, we don't love our enemies the way that Jesus has loved us. Let that be a conviction to us. And then also let us go uh, to the Lord's table here right now. Let's confess all of the ways that we have not been loving to people and let's go before the Lord and let's, uh, let's confess that and thank him for going to the cross for that sin. I want to invite uh, the band up here right now. So right now, if you're, if you're at home and uh, you've got your communion stuff ready, come on, just do it. I know it's weird. You're just by yourself or something like that. Just do it. It's bread and some juice. It'll be great. It'll be awesome. What we do when we, when we're, when we participate in communion is, is that as believers, this is a, a ritual, if you will, an ordinance that is for believers, those, those people that have believed in Jesus Christ. And so if you've believed this morning for the first time, I invite you to participate in the Lord's Supper. So you get some, get some, get some bread, get some, get some juice, just a little sip of, of juice, something like that. And to, to remember what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, Jesus wants us to taste what he's done for us. And so it says 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for this. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, before you partake, can we just take a minute? Let's just take a minute right now, and let's just, would you just sit in silence, and would you just think to yourself, like just come down to a point of reality that just says, like, have I really loved people? Or have I always loved with an, an agenda? Jesus didn't love me with an agenda to get something out of it. Jesus loves me because he truly loves me. It's sacrificial love. He gave up himself. How have I not loved other people? Let's just do some confession. Let's do some business with God. Just take a moment right now in silence and do that. If you have those moments in your mind where you've you've just sinned against God, you can just think right now, like Jesus, you died for that sin. You went to the cross for that, for that. You took my penalty. So you can thank Jesus right now for that. And so he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so let's partake of the bread. It says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake of the cup. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you sacrificed your body for us. And Lord, you have been merciful to us beyond what we deserve. And so, Lord, we get to express this to our world. Lord, now is the time that your people should rise up and express the mercy of God as, sh- as we show mercy to the hurting, as we show mercy to the sick, as we show mercy to our neighbors who are suffering, who can't go to work. Lord, may we revel in the reality that you are so merciful to us. Allow us to be open with giving of our, our things. Lord, allow us to be open with these people. Lord, this is our moment. This is our time to really show that you're our dad. You are our father and we want to show who you are. So Lord, may that happen today in our city. And Lord, I want to pray especially for all those that are sitting here right now in unbelief. Lord Jesus, if there's even an inkling of faith there where they say, I want to believe, I just don't know how to do it. Lord, that's enough. That's enough. Just say yes to Jesus this morning. Say yes to him and give your life to Jesus Christ. And he's already saved you. And so, Lord, would you you draw them to yourself? Lord, would they comment? Would they email us? Would they get in touch with us and just say, hey, I made a, 
I made a decision this morning and I, I want to know what more about this. So Lord, I, I'm praying for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.